Um, I'll try and keep it a little more, more brief tonight. Um, it's pretty hot. And uh, I don't think the kids are going <laughs> to stay put for very long. Um, but let's just catch up real quick. We are in the middle of a, a going through a stretch of the Old Testament running from Samuel, First and Second Samuel through Second Kings. And it's the story of the monarchy. And um, we're going to be in Second Samuel, I think, until the end of... Uh, I'm sorry, we're going to be in this stretch of Scripture till the end of August, or, or close to the end of August. So we're coming... Uh, we have a couple weeks left in Second Samuel. And after that, we're going on to First and Second Kings. But it's really all one narrative. And it's the transition, Israel's transition, from uh, a a one-off judge or leader or, or anointed uh, shepherd of Israel to this succession of the monarchy. Uh, it doesn't take very long until it splits and the, the story of First and Second Kings or the story of the divided kingdom. Um, so tonight we're in Second Samuel and we read some pretty dark stuff. Um, but the way that the story in Samuel runs, in First and Second Samuel, um, Saul is, is really the main character in the book of First Samuel. All right? Samuel occupies the first nine chapters. But Saul's story runs from First Samuel 9 to 31. And it's a story that goes like this. It goes up, and then there's a turning point, and then it goes down. David's story is the same thing. All right, except it runs from 1 Samuel 16 through um, the end of 2 Samuel and really the first two chapters of 1 uh, Kings. And his story as well goes up, turning point, and then decline. All right? And David's story begins in, in 1 Samuel 16, um, and that's where Saul's decline starts. So it, it runs, as Saul begins to decline, David begins to ascend. David ascent, and then Saul goes all the way down. He dies at the end of 1 Samuel. So the way that the stories overlap and the rising and the falling is pretty interesting. If you draw like a graph with the chapter numbers, it, 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 it's pretty cool the way it's crafted and, and organized. Um, but we're unfortunately coming tonight to the section where David has his turning point and a great sin. For Saul, that happened in chapters 13 through 15. Uh, and then we saw him just go on the, on the decline. He descends into madness from there. Um, with David, the turning point is with Bathsheba. And as Nathan comes and, and rebukes him, the sin there. And then so the sin of adultery and then the sin of uh, really murder is what it amounts to in sending Uriah into the battle to, to, to get killed. So I want to focus just on... Um, some of that decline tonight. And it is tragic. Um, I want to start in in 2 Samuel 7. Now this is where God makes a covenant with David. And um, I want to focus on a few uh, verses there because it really serves to highlight just how tragic David's downfall uh, ends up being. Um, If you remember, the covenant with David is delivered... The word of God is delivered by Nathan. And it's, that's the, the first time we see Nathan. The second time we see Nathan is when he's delivering another word of God, and it's not nearly as positive or hopeful. 
but, but both the covenant and the rebuke come through the mouth of Nathan, the, the spokesperson of God, the prophet. Um, but in, in the covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7, I'll start at verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So, God's covenant with David was a kingdom covenant. It was a throne, an everlasting throne from his offspring. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The key verse here, 14, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. What is this relationship between the God of Israel and Israel's king to look like? It's to look like the relationship between a father and a son. So fast forward then to chapter 12. We're not going to go into, I I, I took the men through chapter 11 this morning. I'm sparing the uh, younger ears among us. Um, But in chapter 12... Nathan rebukes David, and David repents, but then Nathan pronounces a judgment on David. And much of it reflects in the negative some of the contents of the promise of David's covenant. And here Nathan has to come back and negates some of those aspects of the covenant. Um, Oh, let me me read the rest of this. Verse 14... uh, he will be to me a father. I'll be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. David then erupts in this prayer of gratitude. And he says, you have given me so much, so much blessings. And this is, a, this is really one of the, the better things that David says in his whole story is his prayer of thanksgiving. He refers to himself as God's servant. I am your servant. And he, he is really humble before God. All right. So he has come from the fields and he has come and, and God has exalted the humble. And here David is saying, yes, I, am, I remain humble before you. Well, that's not at all the picture of we get, that we get of David in chapter 11. His humility, his deference to God, his fear of God, his heart after God seems to be gone. And it's not until David comes back and slaps him in the face with a prophetic rebuke that he suddenly realizes, whoa, my heart is astray. And he has to pray in Psalm 51, which you should go and read if you haven't already. Psalm 51 is in response to Nathan's rebuke. And he says, create in me a clean heart. Right? The one whose heart was after God is no longer after God. Create in me a clean heart, God. Renew a right spirit within me. I've gone astray. Um, so I want to read some of this rebuke. I'm going to start in uh, verse 4 of chapter 12. Now there came a traveler. This is part of the end of Nathan's parable that he's telling to David. Now there came a traveler to the rich man... And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb 
and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man in the story. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And this is, David doesn't realize it, but he is really pronouncing his own judgment. He shall restore the lamb fourfold. David, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. This emphasis on house, right? God was building him a house. And if this were too little, now listen to this. I would add to you as much more. I'll do it. I would do it again, right? My steadfast love will not depart from you. But what have you done with everything that I've given you? Where is that, where is that humble and, and thankful servant that responded to the first word of Nathan? Where is that person? Where is that? Where is my son? Where has he gone? You have despi- Why have you despised the word of the Lord? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Am- Ammonites. Now, therefore, and he's pronouncing judgment on the house. You have to listen for this word house. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with them, uh, with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because this, by this seed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. David says, the man who did this needs to restore fourfold. He needs to restore the lamb fourfold. The story that follows is the story of four, a fourfold judgment on David's house. The death of the infant son. The abuse of Tamar, who is one of David's children. The murder of Amnon who was the perpetrator of the abuse and then finally Absalom who occupies most of the story but that's a fourfold restoration from within David of his own children of his own sheep he restores fourfold and in in each one David's grief um, cuts him more and more deeply the grief around each of these uh, children increases each time. Uh, the first one is the infant. And, and when the infant dies, so he is, he's mourning and, and interceding for God. And in verse 22 of chapter 12, he says, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. 
Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? There's sort of a numbness there that David shows. Certainly not the remorse and the anguish that he feels over Absalom's death, right? But for the infant's death, yes, he, he would prefer that the infant live, but you don't see that deep grief, but the grief increases with each one. Uh, the next is Tamar. And what it says in chapter 13, verse 21, it says, when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. That's really all you hear about it. Then you just see it's silence, right? And it really, it's David's silence. It's his passivity. It's his inaction, his failure to take vengeance and to restore the honor of Tamar. That's really what ends up, I think, taking Absalom off. Absalom bides his time, waits two years. Dad hasn't done anything. I'm going to throw a sheep shearing, invite these people, invite some of my dad, and I'm going after Amnon myself. Dad doesn't seem concerned. Dad just wants to save his own kids. And he's just, you see David's passivity increasing and increasing, all right, through the rest of the story. So the infant, then Tamar, he's very angry. Amnon, finally, he, he begins to grieve. In uh, chapter 13, verse 39, And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom. Or no, it says uh, 37. Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Ahimud, the king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. David mourned for Amnon day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur. Absalom's like, enough of this. Um, Dad didn't want to defend Tamar's honor. I did the job that he should have done, and now Dad's sad that Amnon's dead. I'm out of here. This is not a house I want to live in, right? There's this teenage angst going on in Absalom's heart. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon since he was dead. There's some ambiguity around what the text actually is behind that verse. Um, And we're not going to go into that tonight. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that David's mourning and his, his remorse increases in each of these scenarios. But then it reaches a high point. Um, so the Absalom thing happens, right? Absalom goes out and um, Joab has to kind of trick David through sending this woman of Tekoa uh, to kind of pull a Nathan on David, right, to kind of present the situation and see what David, what kind of judgment David would pronounce on this situation and then flip it around and say, well, that's what you're doing, right? And so Joab sends a woman to David and she says, hey, I had two sons, one killed a son and now everyone's angry and wants to take vengeance on my other son. But I don't think that's right. And David's like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's right either. And then she says, well, that's basically what you're doing and not receiving Absalom. Right? You won't even look at him. Um, so then, finally, and it's, it's a long story with a lot of twists and turns, but finally Absalom returns to Jerusalem, and David says, fine, you can come back, but I don't want to see your face. And it's two or three more years that, that David refuses access to Absalom. And meanwhile, Absalom is just growing more and more bitter against his father. Finally, he decides, I'm going to take the throne for myself. And the way that he rallies support to his cause is also very interesting. 
He says, hey, listen, you got some problems? Hey, I'm, I'm fixing to, to take the throne, and when I'm king, I'm going to actually listen to your problems. Right? This is Absalom's own desires. He wants an audience with his dad. He wants to be heard. He wants his grievances to be aired. He wants judgment to be enacted on his behalf, and his dad won't do it. And so now he's going to take the throne, and this is how he rallies support to his cause, which is very, uh, his platform is very convincing, very appealing, right? Absalom would say to them, see, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. You have nothing you can do. There's no court of law you can go into and plead for justice. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land. I would set all these things right. So Absalom, it says, stole the hearts of the men of Israel. It's a brilliant campaign. And he rallied lots of people to his cause. Well, David's um, David's sort of ignorant of this until his men come and say, hey, listen, this is a serious thing. Absalom is coming. And David realizes the extent of it. And he goes, okay, well, then we we need to leave. So they get out of town. Absalom enters Jerusalem and totally, totally disrespects his, his, his father's kingdom in every way imaginable. It's actually pretty despicable what he does. But he takes the throne and he does these very public, horrific acts to show all of Israel, I am the man in charge, a curse on my father's kingdom. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to take everything dad was doing and, and throw it in the garbage. Meanwhile, David undergoes a second exile. He has to leave. Uh, He's being hunted down again, right? This happened with Saul, and he was innocent. Now it happens with Absalom, and he has guilt, okay? And and David is wrestling during this time. And um, there are some very uh, Christ-like acts of suffering that David undergoes, right? He is ridiculed. He's walking out of the city. They're scorning him. They're mocking him. Shimei is cursing him, throwing rocks. He's being betrayed. Um, And it even says that he's going up the Mount of Olives. Right? And and people are weeping. This This is a foreshadow of the suffering of Christ. Not for his own guilt, but out of his own volition. But going outside the city, being deposed from his own kingdom. And David undergoes um, extreme suffering. And at the end of all of this, basically what, what Absalom was doing, and what David comes to realize, what Absalom was doing to David is what David was doing to his father. What David gets to feel and this is the judgment of God. What? That was ugly. Ah, it's Joe. He face planted on the on the on the uh, on the back nine. Yeah. Anyway, and there was great weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, Where were we? 
Yeah, so what, what Absalom ends up doing, and this is what David comes to realize, is exactly what David was doing to God. God had given everything over into David's hands, and it says he, he scorned God. He, he despised the word of God by his actions. Um, David, at first, he would, he would not let Absalom back into his presence. Well, what did David pray to God? Cast me not away from your presence. Right? God forgave David. Sins on the same level as Absalom's against David. David will not have an audience with Absalom. But after his exile, David's heart begins to soften. All right? And then his heart begins to go out to Absalom more and more. And this is what I think the, the climax of this, this story is. And it's really a long road of judgment. Um, A long road of um, God having to... He he forgave David his sin, but now he has to really reveal to him the depth of it. And so David gets brought to the very end of himself. Right? He he flees his own kingdom. His own rebellious son is on his throne, um, defiling and undoing everything that he's done. David gets brought to the very end of himself, but in doing so, he finally begins to grasp the heart of God, something that he was always after, but went so far astray from. Um, and so in, in chapter 18, um, after Absalom's death, it's a very strange death, it says, Behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king. The Lord has delivered you this day. Actually, the, the men that are going out to, uh, to hunt down Absalom, the king ordered, it says, David ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. His heart begins to soften. And when David hears of, of Absalom's death, he says, may the enemies of my Lord, the king, and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would that I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. He, the heart of a father for his son is finally unlocked. And he really understands the heart of the Father for him. And he is finally able to sense the way that God's heart has been broken over David's sin. The Father says, I have given you everything, and I would do it again. I wanted to be a father to you, and you be a son to me. But you have despised me. And so David finally grasps the heart of God. And he gets to participate with God. Just like he used to in the great triumphs of the glory of God and the presence of God. He gets to participate with God in understanding the broken heart of God. When those that God desires to enter into covenant with. When God's own children rebel against him, as David had to God. So David gets to experience that. 
And so he does end up close to the heart of God. But it's a different side of the heart of God than we've seen before. This is not the heart of God to bring the, the, the victory to the people of Israel. It's not the heart of God to bring the glory and come down in, in, in the, the, the glory of his presence. It's the heart of God that weeps for children who have rebelled against him. And says, I would, would that I had died in your place. What a picture of the heart of God. This is the heart of God over us as his children. And this is what David finally gets to realize. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture. David is undone. And it's, I don't think it's until this point that he truly understands what he has done to God in sinning against him. He finally says, I see it. I couldn't stand my son. I didn't want to see his face while he was rebelling against me. But at the same time, I was going to ask God, don't cast me away from your presence. Blot out my iniquity. What was I thinking? Oh, Absalom, my son, would that I had died instead of you. And this is, this is the heart of God. David, the man after God's heart, sees the deepest and 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 most grievous, but also most beautiful part of the heart of God, which is the cross. It's the God who sends his own son out from his throne, who, who willingly kicks his son out of heaven, sends him to earth to mingle, sends him to the wilderness of earth, and says, go and bear the shame, go and bear the sin of that people. Bear all the scorn. Take it on yourself. Experience, even though you haven't done any sin, experience the stripes that are reserved for those who sin against me. Being after the heart of God can lead us to the heights of worship and celebration. But it can also lead us into intense experiences of grief over sin. And when you begin to understand the heart of God, you begin to understand that God is scorned and hurt to infinite levels every moment of every day. By people like us who take all of his mercy, all of his goodness, and decide that, man, I want to do it better. I want to do it different. I don't think that God has my best interest in mind. Absalom's view of his father was the same as Satan's view of God as, as he portrayed it to Eve. Ah, he does, he's, he's keeping something from you. You stick with me, hey, we need to get on the throne. That, that way we can really actually do some good for some people around here. Right? This is an evil thing. And it breaks the heart of God. God's desire is to build us a house. But we want to take the house and consume it on ourselves and shape it into what we want um, so that's, that, that's what I wanted to, to point out tonight, how David really did get to experience God's heart in a new way. But it just so happened to be the part of God's heart that was willing to part with his own son to bear the consequences of sin, the sin of, of rebellious children who wanted his throne for themselves and wanted to drive him out of the city, nail him to a cross outside the gate in a shameful spot. That's what they wanted to do to David. And that's what they did, in fact, do uh, to our Lord Jesus 
Um, so David really does uh, get closer to God's heart. Even at the end of his decline, he ends up right there in the center of, of God's purposes and God's heart. Um, so it's kind of sad. From, from, from there on, and we'll probably talk about the end of 2 Samuel uh, next week. But from there on, David, um, he's kind of past his prime. And he even tries to like, hey, I'm going to go out to fight this time. And everyone's like, no, why don't you hang back? You know, uh, you're not going to do much good for us out there. You actually do need to hang back this time. You're getting old, David. Um, And David just has to, his life comes to an end and he has to watch uh, his household just, he really does restore fourfold uh, for his own sin. His own household begins to crumble. Uh, But, the hopeful thing is that clearly God's steadfast love did not depart from him. He was disciplined with the rod of men, but God stayed true to his promise to him to be a father, right? Just like David was ended up being a father to Absalom, weeping, being grieved over his actions. Even though Absalom hated his guts, he was grieved over his death. David gets to experience, this is, this is my father. And this is what a true father is. Uh, and this is what the nature of the covenant and the kingdom is. Um, all right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this uh, word. and um, God, I pray that we would grasp this part of your heart in deeper and deeper ways. Uh, Lord, that um, we would understand your love for us. Um, And Lord, in doing that, I know that you need to reveal the depth of our sin to us in ways that we don't understand. Uh, Lord, you you had to use Absalom's actions against David to show him the depth of what he had done uh, to the covenant you were trying to establish with him. And Lord, I pray that that we would realize it, uh, that it wouldn't take uh, such drastic measures in our own lives for us to understand Um, the rebellion in our hearts, for us to understand um, how we do take your your amazing gifts that you so graciously pour out on us and we get passive and we get lazy and we get lustful with them, Lord. Uh, Lord, help us. And and thank you, Lord, that that we uh, we have a greater king than David. Uh, Lord, that we have a greater example of a son who came down and and did uh, your will perfectly and pleased you in everything, Lord. And thank you that we have his spirit within us. Um, The spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship that cries, Abba, Father. And thank you, Lord, that we are not slaves, that we are not rebellious children. We are sons and daughters of God and that your steadfast love will not depart from us. We praise you for that, Lord. Take us deep into these truths. Get them deep into our hearts. uh, And help us to be uh, fathers uh, and and those that love uh, your sons and daughters in the way that you do, Lord. We thank you for that. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.